Around the world, more than 80 women have accused Peter Nygaard of crimes ranging from rape to sex trafficking. He far exceeds Jeffrey Epstein. He far exceeds Bill Cosby. He exceeds anything that I think our world has seen so far. A pattern of predatory behavior spanning half a century. Nygaard denies it all. But now he faces criminal charges. If this were a poor man, he would have been in jail decades ago. He is hid in plain sight. Evil by Design, available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I don't really like math because it's just not my favorite subject and I'm not that good at it. I don't, I don't like it at all. I'm starting pre-calculus in next semester and I hate it. And I haven't even started it. Maybe that sounds familiar. For many students, math class is a slog. And it shows in Canada's test scores. A new international ranking from the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development is giving Canada a bad grade. The assessment shows only 12% of Canadian students are considered high math achievers. One in five of the students tested scored at a lowest level. Uh, These numbers are part of a steep decline in Canadian math skills. It's been going since 2003, and it's calling into question how it is that we teach math. Math, it's just boring, you know. It's kind of like the students' least favorite subject. I'd make, like, activities for them to do that are still related to math, not just, like, doing, like, equations or puzzles or something. Last year, my math teacher was actually really good, and he didn't use the textbook. And he, um, like, made all the worksheets for himself, and so I think that made it a lot more easier to understand. I guess some teachers make it really fun and do a lot of, like, games with it. I'd make it more, like, sort of relatable, I guess. Those are some ideas from high school students in Vancouver. John Mighton is a mathematician, author of All Things Being Equal, Why Math is the Key to a Better World. He is also the founder of Jump Math. Peter Taylor is a professor of mathematics at Queen's University, creator of the program Rabbit Math. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning, Matt. John, why are Canada's math scores apparently dropping every year? Well, I think it's because what we're doing is not well in line with the science of learning Mm. in a couple ways. I mean, I came across an article in Nature magazine recently called The 85% Rule for Optimal Learning. And um, there's a lot of evidence that we're happiest and most engaged and our brains are working most efficiently when we've almost got something. We have to stretch ourselves a little bit. Um, We're about 85% proficient. Mm. But a lot of kids spend their time in class around the 50% zone or 40% zone. So that's one of the problems. We're we're just not in a – we don't keep kids in a zone where they're really enjoying math. And you don't have to feed them pizza to get them interested in fractions. If they're having success solving problems, making discoveries, and you keep them in that zone, they're very happy. Pizza might help. But yeah, yeah uh, it could. Um, how much of this has to do, do you think, with, with what happened during the pandemic? We hear a lot about learning loss, and part of this is about momentum. Kids were in class, then some of them were out of class, were learning from home, home didn't work. Uh, how does that factor into what we're seeing? Yeah, that definitely made things more difficult, and teachers are seeing kids coming in with less socialization, um, less knowledge, but, but the decline was happening before, before COVID. And, and um, you know, if you look at how many kids are really doing well in math at the highest levels, we've seen evidence in Jump Math that virtually every kid can learn math at a high level. And so we shouldn't even be debating if there's a slight decline in PISA. We should be asking, or the international test, we should be asking, you know, why, why isn't almost every child 
flourishing in math and loving the subject. People have t- kind of created a distinction between the scores and the skills in some ways. Yeah, and um, you know, there's a simple game, for instance, parents could play at home or, or, or teachers could play, where you, you just play the game Go Fish with kids, mm-hmm. but you change the rules. So you, 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 if you have a two, you can ask for an eight. You ask for a number that adds to 10. Kids really quickly learn the numbers that add to 10. Then they can do things cashiers can't do. Like if they're at 28 cents, they know they need two cents because eight and two go together to, to get up to 30. And it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. And there's research showing foundational skills. It's not a, they're critically important in every subject. You can't be an expert or a problem solver if you don't have foundational knowledge. And that doesn't have to be taught in a boring way. Mm. Peter, if we put the scores aside for a moment, we just heard some students talking about why they don't love math. How bad at, are we at teaching math in this country? Uh, well, that, that's a good question. Um, we, um, we probably don't have our kids doing what kids love to do, which is um, designing things, building things, switching things around, uh, things that uh, – structures that are uh, complex, beautiful, wonderful, that act in un- unexpected ways – um, wonder and surprise and some of the words you used at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we need to be doing more than that with kids because that's what kids do. So help me understand that. Where do you find wonder in math? Well, you, um, well, so uh, you start with what mathematicians do. And they, uh, they have complex systems that they work on, that they build, that they... Um, change up in different ways, and there are surprises that happen. Uh, And I guess most of the wonder comes from the beauty that emerges, uh, which can be very unexpected. Describe that beauty. From your perspective, where where do you, as somebody who loves math, where do you find the wonder and beauty in the subject? Well, I I find it in exactly what I do. Uh, take, Take a... The universe is a complex system. Look up at the sky. Somehow that's incredibly beautiful. Why is that? I, I think we're attuned to find beauty in, in, in complex structures that are, that are harmonic, that somehow fit together in unexpected ways. And that's what we want in the classroom. Give me an example of that. How would you translate that into the classroom, that sense of wonder? One of the things, I mean, I know that you've talked about are this idea of mathematical novels, for example. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, kids love stories. So we try to build a narrative structure like, okay, I'm going to tell you a story today, guys, into into a classroom activity. And then they listen and their imaginations start going. Um, and, and, and then you have to give them things to do. Okay, I want you to do this. And, and you show them, maybe you show them with... With manipulatives, maybe it's something on the screen, technology. They, they do pay attention to the screen, as we well know. Mm-hmm. And um, they see something moving and twisting in strange ways. And then something unexpected happens. And, okay, that's neat. They say, wow, okay, I want you to build that. And in different ways, I want you to make it. Because that's kind of what they do. And interestingly enough, if you choose these activities well... The, the task of making them gets them doing mathematics. And is that what we heard from one of the students at the beginning talking about how they wish that math was more relatable in some ways? Is that, is that an Absolutely. example of that? 
Exactly. I was so happy to hear that quote. It's, it's getting them where they live. And, and then they'll spend the time, and then they'll start. And, and it, it turns out that the foundational skills that uh, everybody's talking about, that the kids need to be better at, um, will come in the process of uh, designing and, and, and constructing these things. John Mighton, when you take a look at, at why it is, and we've hinted at this, but why it is that, that students can't connect with math. Is it about relatability? What, what's going on in the classroom? Yeah, I think what Peter's saying is a great strategy to have them build things, uh, create things, do things that they can see have applications. But we've also found that even in like, I do a lot of demo lessons, even in behavioral classes where kids could be five grade levels apart. Um, if you go back to the right level, you can very quickly get them up to grade level if you've got a well-scaffolded lesson. Because that's the foundational piece that's that right. you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. And as long as you keep them in that zone of productive struggle, and also um, there's a lot of evidence that you become a great problem solver if you, if you have a more incremental approach to, uh, like to play chess, it's not always good to just play the full game of chess. If you play mini games that have been designed to show you how a piece moves, what's a strong position, you actually progress more quickly as a problem solver. So if you design your math lessons for kids that way, where they're, they're conquering these challenges. Kids love to show off to master these problems, make discoveries and master these challenges. Mm. Um, and you do that so that the whole class feels equal. They're all participating equally. They're all having success. The only differentiation you have to use is some extra bonus questions for faster kids. But you can give kids a sense that they're all working on the same thing. You get what Durkheim called collective effervescence. Everyone start, their brains start working better. They start getting excited um, and, and they, they get into that optimal zone for learning. But because, you have to have a well-designed lesson. Because in the absence of that, if you have some kids who are struggling and some yeah. kids who are doing really well, the kids who are struggling or just aren't as advanced as the other people in the classroom are going to feel like they don't get it. Exactly. We need to look, look more at the psychology of you know, group behavior. There's research suggesting as early as grade one, kids know if there's different expectations for them, no matter how good the teacher is. We have a radar for knowing where we are in a hierarchy. And not many people look at that group effect when they design curriculum. You have to give kids the feeling very quickly that they're, they're equal and performing equally. They don't care if someone's getting a bit of extra work, as long as they're doing roughly the same work. And, and then you see kids who have had their head on the desk wake up and suddenly start participating. Peter, this sounds really straightforward in some ways. I mean, thinking differently about math to kind of meet students, as you said, where they are. Why aren't we doing that? Uh, well, in, in a way, we are. Uh, one of our big programs in Ontario, anyway, is this de-streaming which is coming into grade nine, which is in grade nine and coming into grade 10. And that's, that's quite a challenge, but a wonderful creative challenge of getting kids working together at different levels with different levels of confidence and interest and trying to get uh, dynamics going with, with, with that process. Um, and... The, um, and that seems to be succeeding. Uh, the, the teachers need a lot of help with how to do that, how that should work. Uh, we need good examples. Mm -hmm. We need good activities to give the kids to do. 
John, in some ways, this goes back to not just the test scores, but but that sense that that there's a slide happening. Why in, in classrooms? We've talked about this before. You've been here on the program talking about this before, and you mm-hmm. gave me math questions, which was terrifying on the radio. But <laughs> why is it that we aren't doing this in the classroom in a different way that's going to engage those students? Well, I mean, if you look at the controversies in reading, um, people are finally realizing there's a science of reading and that kids need phonics and decoding. We didn't evolve to read. The, those things need to be taught. I think a lot of people aren't aware of the science of math. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, all, all textbooks in North America are based on this idea that kids are going to learn to be great, real-world, authentic problem solvers if they get to grapple with a lot of those kinds of problems without much guidance often. But there's an article in Nature, uh, sorry, in Science Magazine that came out 15 years ago. The title is The Advantage of Abstract Examples in Math Instruction. It turns out right down to preschool, it's sometimes better to start with a more generic or abstract representation than add in details, add, make it more and more concrete or mm. applied. Um, most programs aren't designed that way, so it's highly inefficient. Kids get overwhelmed by too much language, too much density of text, too, much, uh, too many new, new ideas at once. And the research is really clear. There's, there's a massive body of evidence on concrete versus abstract that, that people have to start paying attention to, especially with young learners. And again, this is not individual teachers. This is a large or structural kind of issue, I think. Yeah, it's a structural issue. Yeah. I mean, some of my heroes uh, in, in science, they're in Canada. Daniel Ansari, Joanne Lefebvre, Tracy Solomon at OISE. There are people who are experts in the science of learning, and, and districts should be consulting them. They're, they're working in cognitive science, in psychology. Um, they really hold the key to, to changing, changing how we teach children. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. So let me bring in one of those voices. Rebecca Carter is a PhD student, teaching fellow at Queen's University. She's one of Peter's students. Rebecca, good morning to you. Good morning. How has learning from Peter Taylor, your teacher, helped shape your love of, of the subject of mathematics and how we teach math? Oh, it's been transformative, honestly. Um, I was lucky I met Peter at the end of my undergrad, and I was kind of still deciding what I was going to do next. And... Um, you know, the beauty and the wonder that he talks about is really how um, he does math and shares math and teaches math. And that really encouraged me to continue my pursuit of learning math. What do you love about it? What do you love about math? About what do I love about math? Um, so many things. Where to start? Honestly, I mean, the experience of working on a great problem is really unlike anything else. It's, um, as Peter said, it's beautiful. Um, it can be complex. Um, there is this feeling of productive struggle, too, which I sometimes think um, is uncomfortable when we first encounter it and, and we try maybe to shy away from it. But that experience of really digging in and embracing um, the period of not knowing to to eventually kind of see the light at the end and mm. see how things fit together. It's, yeah, it's amazing. That sense of wonder and awe is intoxicating, um, mm-hmm. no matter what it is that, that you're dealing with. You, you work with teachers. How do you help them instill that sense of wonder about math? 
I mean, we're really lucky. We work with like amazing, amazing teachers who are so devoted and excited um, about their students and about math. And I think um, we spend a lot of time, you know, trying to just be doing math with them and, and looking at what we think are beautiful problems and um, have rich structure. And so that we actually get to have that um, that rich experience together, which hopefully then, um, you know, can be translated into classrooms. And if they're resistant to that, if they don't see the, they just see the process, they don't see the wonder and the beauty in it. What do you say to them? How do you unlock that in them? Um, that's a good question. Um, I do think some of it is just, I think everybody needs to uh, be able to work through things sometimes in their own space and own pace. Um, I'd say that, you know, not every time I look at a problem, I feel like, wow, this is incredible. Mm. Sometimes my first reaction is, this looks really hard. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not really sure that this one's going to come together. Um, but I think that the more you do it, the more you see new problems, um, the more then you have this trust that, you know, if I persevere here, if I dig in, if I try and make sense of this, like there's going to be something really amazing on the other side. One of the things we saw from this data, and this has come over the course of several years, is that female students continue to score lower in math than their male peers. Do we know why that is, Rebecca? Oh, I think that's, I mean, I think that's a layered issue. Um, I think there's probably lots of reasons. Um, I can speak, though, um, to my experience mm. as being a woman in math is, um, you know, I found that times in my education where I met other women who were professors or graduate students, that was really impactful for me. Um, I, I would say that, you know, in those times of struggle where it seems very hard and like you're not quite sure if it's going well and you doubt whether that's maybe because of you, seeing yourself more reflected in the community can really help you realize that that's just a universal experience and you do belong there. And additionally, you know, sometimes, you know, the representation isn't there and you don't see yourself reflected as much. But even having people who are um, part of the community and mathematicians who take that time to really make sure you know, make sure that you know that you do belong there um, and that they they see you there, even if you don't see yourself there yet. One of the things I'm sure it does is that that idea, if you can't see it, you can't be it in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that John mentioned was that this work in terms of thinking differently about how we teach math has to start early on because there are some kids who will see themselves, they maybe get the, the, the test back and they didn't do particularly great. They think they're bad at math and that's it. They just throw up their hands. I'm, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. The New Yorker writer, Alec Wilkinson, um, went through that and kind of said, I'm not a math student. That's it. At age 65, he went back and he taught himself high school math and talked to us about what he gained in doing that. Have a listen to this. It was as if I felt a certain part of my intelligence, if I may call it that, had lain fallow because I hadn't been able to invoke it because I couldn't figure out. I got lost at the age of 13. Studying mathematics at the age of 65 changed my perception of the world. I saw myself solving problems differently, approaching solutions differently, more ambitious in my attempt to tackle certain problems. It was acquiring a little bit of a superpower. A little bit of a superpower. John Might, and I think a superpower sounds pretty good to a lot of people. Is there a case to be made for people to do this, to go back? I mean, 
anybody, me, radio host, person who, uh, anybody who, who perhaps gave up on math, is there a case for them to go back and learn the basics? Yeah, there's all kinds of evidence that learning math changes your brain. Um, and also, I think teachers need to have that experience. Uh, I asked about 700 teachers at a math convention why, uh, when you divide seven by two-thirds, you flip and multiply. Someone yelled out, because you get the right answer. And, uh, <laughs> it's, not, and, not, it's not wrong. It's not a joke. Uh, so I invite a math phobic volunteer on stage. I ask them five minutes of questions. They figure it out themselves. And then teachers say, why don't we know this? This is trivial. We could have figured this out. Teachers love to make discoveries. They love to make connections just as much as kids. And that's the key to changing the system is just empower teachers with resources where they can learn the math and develop a love of it. There's research showing math should be the most accessible subject to every brain. They did brain scans of mathematicians found we use a really primitive part of the brain that has the same sense of space and number that kindergarten kids do. And I could have told you that before the study. I don't understand anything unless I can reduce it to that simple level. Why is this a secret? Why aren't, why aren't teachers, for instance, or adults able to see how smart they, they are and how, how many different ways they could see the world or appreciate the world mm -hmm. or understand the world? Peter, for, for better or worse, um, we parents will often focus, you get the report card back, you look at the grades, and you might see the grade and you might be worried that your kid has a bad math grade. What would you say to those parents about how to help? Um, well, uh, they, they need the right kind of activities. Um, uh, um, I, I'm not sure where bad grades come from mm. they, they they come from um, the kid not uh, doing the work probably and um, and not being engaged as we said earlier that's right um, actually I would go back to the teacher uh, what we find is the most important thing to do is is to work with teachers um, and 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 they actually love the discovery that they can solve these problems. And, and the amazing thing is that uh, what we found is that some of the problems that seem to belong to higher grades or even university level can be engineered to work very well with, say, grade 7 and 8 kids, with kids in elementary school. It, it's amazing what these kids can do if, um, if, if they're given the task in, in a way that gets them starting to build at the beginning and create something for themselves. Mm. And, and the teachers see that, and, and, they, um, and that empowers them as well. Rebecca, what's at stake if, if we don't make some of these changes? Think differently about how we, how we think about math, how we teach math, but also if, if that comprehension, those skills don't improve. What do you think is at stake? Um, I mean... I think today more than ever, it's important that everybody has the opportunity and the access um, to uh, a quality math education, but also math education that can inspire their love of math. Um, I think it's incredibly important that every student has the opportunity to feel as though they can do this um, and also be able to find that love for it inside of them if it is something that really sparks joy for them. John Mighton? Just finally to you. That couldn't be better said. I mean, I, we would think kids were stunted if they didn't see any beauty in a mountain or a star. But the majority of kids graduate from high school without seeing the invisible beauty of the world that, that Peter and Rebecca both talked about. That invisible beauty that is scaffolded by math. Yeah. Yeah. And why shouldn't that be the right of every child?
Like, do we exclude people from our national parks? <laughs> do we put walls around them and stop people from going to our national parks? That should be the right of every child. It's a really interesting way to think about math, that idea of beauty, um, and that idea, the idea that wonder is lurking within those hard problems. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. Thanks Thank for the you. opportunity, Matt. John Mighton is a mathematician, author of All Things Being Equal, Why Math is Key to a Better World. He's also the founder of Jump Math. Peter Taylor is a professor of mathematics at Queen's University, creator of Rabbit Math. Rebecca Carter, a PhD student and teaching fellow at Queen's as well. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.